Mm-hmm. Um, she, on some level, even if she didn't realize it consciously, was looking for a way out. But she was also one of the women that was never going to be alone. Mm-hmm. So I think to her it was setting up the next relationship. And, uh, yeah, it, it was just it came out ugly one night when I just realized. And they'd only been at it for a very short time. But I just realized, hold up, there's something going on here already. Right. And, uh, and uh, so that marriage came to an end and i got the satisfaction of because he was actually the old rap partner from back in the day when we we're getting underground. What, yeah what's yeah you you've dropped a lot of fun fucking nuggets here like I've what so did many, you have a, did you have like a national popular song that i'm not know, knowing about or what, you know, what, what back was, in the day most of the rap songs um were not mainstream so you'd had like no it was all in the underground. like here you had krcl and once mm-hmm. a week they would do the soul station and rap attack right we get played on the rap attack show here and okay. we get played on the um on some of the soul station shows that were not anti-rap but they were just just ghetto mentality and so we had um uh we were getting played here and then people would go out of state from time to time and be like uh there's been three different rap groups over the years that i'm aware of that have had that name but it might pull something up still um and there's also a lot of rap songs that have been called that now yeah it used to be it used to come up really high to um and that might be in a is that the name of the group or the song there's one out of chicago there was one there's one here is from west jordan oh, utah I, oh that it might be me actually that that is me the one from west jordan i i was living in west jordan when that all came to an end get a mentality so like this one top side here this one would probably be me that's probably a face yeah that is me Okay, that's the first result. Holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. What me was your on hits on this? Dog. What was your hits on this? Um, one? let's see, the ones that got radio play. Glendale to Midvale was really huge. Um, have you been in Midvale your whole fucking life or something? No, he moved out here from California to Midvale. Okay, and I grew up in Glendale here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that one was Glendale to Midvale. Um, Players mentality got a lot of radio play. Uh, metaphors got some murder after midnight was huge weekends was huge creeping got a little bit get up was huge hit and run was huge on some different shit got a little bit of radio play blowing up was our first song that did really well weekends did really well and then oh yeah those last three radio edits that we put on the album who's this guy uh, his name was Bert. he's dead now. His name's Bert. He went by Bert Lokes. His uh his real name was Sefulu Etuwate. Um, he went by Bert. Uh, because and, of white people, like <laughs> well, his dad. Sefulu like means ten in Samoan. Um, okay. Uh, Etuwate is a Samoan close to Samoan equivalent of Edwards. Uh-huh. So he was. I think his driver's license actually said Sefulu Bert Edwards, but his actual birth name. Bert is like his middle name. This was no, it was a nickname, but this is pre nine eleven, and especially oh, with Polynesians, or... shit would end up getting on your driver's license that wasn't on a birth certificate. Yeah. His birth certificate was just Sefulu Etuwate, but yeah. his dad was always went by Bert, even though his dad's name was Sefulu. So his dad was the 10th child, which is why he was named Sefulu, just 10. That's right. a Samoan thing. He was Sefulu Jr. He wasn't the 10th child, but he was just Sefulu Etuwate Jr. And, uh, but his Did license- they not have 11 in their culture? Like <laughs> No, but no, he, his dad was the 10th child, so mm-hmm. he was his dad's child, and he yeah. was just junior because yeah. it was his dad's name. But Wait, was it like, it, it, 
So it was 10 in the generation of his dad? Was there 10 kids or something? Yeah, like his dad was the 10th child. So they called him Sefulu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of t- not a lot, but sometimes Samoans will name their kids the number of, yeah, of yeah, their yeah, birth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he, would, he, wasn't, he wasn't the 10th child, but he was... He was the he junior, was his he was dad. The son of the, yeah, okay, he was, he was his dad's okay. first son, so he was this, the Pulu Junior. Sense now. Once, once and, and then he also picked up Bert as a nickname, and for mm-hmm. some reason, his license said Safulu Bert Edwards, even though his legal name was really just Safulu Etuwate. He has no junior. idea how that happened. He didn't ask the court um, to take it. it was, I had a friend uh, named uh, Ina Sauni, who's also dead now, and uh, he uh, he had a driver's license and voted, and every he was illegal. His family. He was born. You could just integrate into the system. Yeah. Like here, I don't know if it's still like this, but here's how fucked up it was back in the day. Like I don't mean fucked. It. There were holes in the system. Like yeah. When I went to get my son's um social security card. Yeah. Um, I took down his birth certificate, and they right. said that's not proof of identity. I said it's his fucking birth certificate. Yeah. This is the ultimate proof of identity, and they were like. It's not proof of ongoing identity. It just establishes identity. And I was like, that makes no sense. And the lady finally said, look, we know that, but legislatures don't, and we don't make the rules. They need SSN. I said, they need passports. I said, what is ongoing identity? She said a doctor's prescription. Uh, I said, so literally I could go into a doctor right now, get a prescription for an antibiotic, which I don't need an ID to fill under a false name and come in here and get a social security number and create a whole new identity. And she was just like, I can't answer that question. So Ina had come Sounds over. Sounds yeah. like an idea. Yeah. He had come over. I don't think you could post 9-11, but Ina had come over. He, his, he, his family was from America in Samoa, but him and a couple of his brothers were born in Western Samoa. He was an Australian citizen. Oh. So they came over here and, and him and his couple brothers had visas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they expired when they were in elementary school, and the family just never renewed them. The rest of the family was American citizens. Oh, yeah, and that happens a lot. So he just grew, and when he was 16, he just he was on the school records. He just got a license somehow. No, that's what I I hear about that from people that work in public school right now, that they're, that that's kind of a way that illegals are very easily brought into the system is that the there's some fudging in the public school administration. Yeah. Just the, just the local school. And they're at, out of like the niceness of their hearts or whatnot. They just fudge whatever paperwork, or just, they just they just yeah, create I think the back paperwork. Then, I don't even think anybody even fudged anything with well, it. I don't think, I think anyone cared back no, then. In a way, no, it was just by that point, no, the the system there was no nine eleven. The system no didn't care that some well, kid who was born a, on the wrong side. Nine eleven, in my opinion, has activated way too many scare t- scare. Oh yeah, scare yeah. tactics. Yes, politics have always, but like. We were at a farmer's market thing today, and someone was, like, acting like the security at the airport was was okay, like the security checkpoints we go through. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there like, no. No, they're not. Like, they're not. They're, they don't do anything. They don't stop anything. They have no reports of ever being they're, successful. They violate the and they constitutional violate, protection against illegal search and seizure. They, they violate so many things on privacy, on dignity. Oh, and on, now if you got enough money, you can just bypass it. So it's like, what is the point anymore? Yeah, like, it's it's. You it's, think a, a terrorist organization with all well, that money can't? I guess fund. my biggest personal complaint is that it gives me too too much anxiety if I have like 
drugs on me mm-hmm. and I'm going and I'm going in the air. And it's not like I'm like I'm like I'm not a mule moving anything. Right. I literally have just like it's kind of a question of am I gonna get am I gonna be in a state where like these very simple, you know, edibles or vapes are now gonna like have me like in a criminal situation. Yeah. You know? Or is security gonna care about that? Because like, Oof. what I would do to like, and I've already like tested this. Is that so? What I would do, um, at some point when I was like really scared about like, cause I I don't think anyone actually cares about if you have, you know, Delta Eight, Delta Nine edibles or whatnot on a yeah. plane these days. Uh, you're not smoking on the plane. You're not causing a problem with the oxygen system, so on. But what I would do is that I have this multi tool for my pipe tobacco, and it's got a corkscrew on it, like for a wine bottle. And so I'll have that in my pack with like my tobacco stuff, and my cigars that I take with me on vacation or whatever. And but and security will always flag me and check that tool set, but they won't take it away. Yeah. And so like my anxiety ridden brain is like, I'll just put that in while I have like a Tupperware, a little micro Tupperware filled with like, you know, supplement pills or whatever. Yeah. And see if they just like glaze through that because they're focused on the metal thing that looks like a weapon. Yeah. You know, in the pack. Um, and that's the you know, the classic, like, distraction, like, you buy a pack of gum when you're actually, like, a, I've never done this, but I've heard this from all my, all the friends that I were meeting in high school, is that, like, what is it, you pocket, like, the $60 PS2 game, but mm-hmm. you buy a pack of gum Oh, I just, yeah, shit like I was, that. in my criminal, I would always buy something wrong, stealing shit, because yeah. it was, like, yeah, it was, this, it was one, I used it even, it's probably been a few years since I used but I used to love to do this thing. Even now, you when you start working a drug addiction program, it's supposed to be about honesty and all that. Shit. Yeah, but nobody's perfect. And uh, I I used to go in a lot, and if I needed new sunglasses, I would be buying shit, and I'd get the sunglasses. I'd leave the tags on them and everything, but I'd set them on the counter a little uh-huh. bit away from the other stuff, as if they were just my sunglasses. All right. Nine times out of ten, they don't ring them up. They just assume they're your sunglasses with the tags on them. Um, I very rarely buy cigarette lighters anymore like i i recently quit smoking but i was me and uh nick were at the store the other day and yeah. I was buying him a drink he's like hey can i get a black and mild and uh i was like yeah sure throw it on there and uh he's like do you have a lighter in your car still and i didn't i just have the lighter in my room for my candle now and yeah, yeah. Like, no and so i picked up the lighter and i'm talking to the clerk i just took the lighter and kept it in my hand and just and that's that's how you're just walking out with it basically yeah but did the clerk see you you pick it up out of the thing or yeah but you have this plausible deniability with the glasses it's like oh i put them on a counter i thought you rung them up i wasn't paying attention right 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 with the lighter it's like oh shit i didn't realize that was in my hand still yeah yeah, and i've never been caught doing it but i've done it with chargers because they're i've never actually like i think because of my how my mind works any level of even like petty teenage crime, like stealing like a bottle of Minute Maid out in City Walk or something like that, in, mm-hmm. in Universal Studios area, is like I my, in my mind there is clean getting away with it or bust. There's yeah. not a plausible deniability in my brain for that kind of. Sometimes trickery. the plausibility, plausible deniability. I I knew someone who literally accidentally stole some shit once, and mm-hmm. they knew that. What looking at the film, they she set some shit in her purse. Yeah, her purse was open. She threw this like lip gloss or something in there. Yeah. They 
stop her on the way out there like you stole and she'd bought like hundreds of dollars this is like a little tiny she'd bought 150 dollars. this was the one thing that had gotten yeah and it's like she'd thrown it into the purse like for whatever reason the purse yeah. was open yeah uh, and then forgot it was there they take her up in the office they search her bag twice don't find it and she's like look i know i put it in my purse but i had the intention of buying it i don't know why it's not there yeah and at this point they're gonna have to let her go she looks through her purse and finds it and goes here it is right here they still charged her. She still had to, because they had this zero tolerance policy. But I, I've accidentally stolen shit. No, yeah, no, I, I, I hate that. I, I, I'm of a mindset that laws, laws around criminality need to be much more focused on trying to get rid of the malicious. Yeah. Or the immature. Like those are two. Yeah, like, I've, I've accidentally stolen shit. I don't. Oh like, yeah. Especially at convenience stores, like you get this mindset going and be usually something as stupid as fountain drinks, but go in and get the well, drinks I, I could easily, and then walk out the front door and you're halfway down the road and realize, Oh, I didn't pay for those. Oh, I've well, there's the classic thing, especially when you're trying not, you're trying to do like a quick stop at the grocery store and you end up pocketing something because mm-hmm. your hands are full of eggs or milk or whatever. You do the full checkout cause you're engaged. You're trying to be quick about it. Then you get up down the road and you're like, what's in my pocket? Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, one time I, this is back in the day, like early nineties, you used to, even if you're paying cash, you used to pump your gas and go in and pay for it after. Yeah. And yeah. It, in fact, it was right down here, this 7-Eleven right down here on State Street, right about 80th South. Okay. I pulled up to that one day. I was on my way to an appointment. It was when I was doing a rap thing, and, and we're meeting a new rapper who had, like, seen our cassette in the store and yeah. called, and, and he had talent. So I was like, I'm going to go meet this dude at his house, and I'm in a hurry. I stop and pumped $20 worth of gas. I had $40 in my pocket, and back yeah. then $20 was a lot of gas. I pumped 40, $20 worth of gas. I went in and got a big gulp, and I'm driving. I'm almost to his house, and right. I reach in my pocket and pull out, and I've still got $40 in my pocket instead of – I mean, I put a full 20 in gas. I shouldn't have yeah. even had 120 in my pocket. I'm like, how do I have? And I realized, oh, shit, you, I waved at the cashier on my way out. I was like, hey, how you doing? And they just thought I knew what I had gotten. And, and at that point, I was like, man, I should go back and pay for this. But I was scared to because I was like, if I if they called the police, they pull a zero tolerance. I'm about to. Well, get... I was just thinking if they called the police, they probably don't have my plate number because there weren't a lot of cameras. But if they called the police with a description of me in my car and I get caught on the way back, the cops never going to believe that I was really on my way back to pay for the shit. Yeah. They're just going to think I was still in the neighborhood. So I was like, right. Man, fuck that. I'm not paying for this. I actually, it's not it's not a story of me stealing, but. uh I was going, running into a Publix, uh, one of the famous retailers of the South. Um, I was on some shit. I was, I think I was about to host a party or something like that at my place. And so I always went to the Publix that I worked at. Like disclosure, I used to work at Publix. Mm-hmm. We'll see if this goes poorly for me. Um, but I would always go to that same Publix, basically, because I, I knew the whole store. You know, I I had been working there for years. I'd worked grocery for so long so i knew everything anywhere i could tell you where anything was on the aisle if you named it like i could go through your pantry and tell you like this aisle this side of the aisle yeah quarter way third way down even maybe like guessing at the shelf elevation and but because i was working there so often i also would i would get to know the loss prevention officers or whatnot and one of the guys like he always he looked like a former gangster or something like they just had like the flat bill on baggy clothes just you know, just rolling around a cart or something like that. And and I remember I just walked in, saw him, and kind of aware I was about to cr- 
cause a problem. Like, I think my wife was, like, at the front desk, like, getting something small. I literally had gone around, grabbed, like, two giant Gatorade bottles or two big two liters, and then I walked straight out the front door past him. Yeah. <laughs> but not out the fr- front door. Like, there's the, there's the two layers, the two, uh, the two layers of doors, because in that main section is where the carts are. And so I was like, I'm going to need something. So I'd gone in, gone, grabbed two, like, two liters or something like that, walked right out right past him. He's like, what the fuck? Okay, I guess they're doing this now. He starts documenting because there's no catching me, and it's under 20 bucks worth yeah. of goods. And But then I come right back out with the car with the Gatorade bottles in them, and he's like, I was about to, like, write up a loss prevention on you, motherfucker. Like, what the <laughs> hell? I didn't, I had a hat on, so he didn't recognize me oh. or something. I was like, no, man, it's me. I was like, oh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> I, I did that just the other day. I was I, I caught my I was walking out to Maverick mm-hmm. with a couple. Uh, I had a friend at the house who wanted a soda, and so I'm walking. I'm just walking out with these drinks in my hand, and turned around and I looked at the cashiers looking at me, and I was like, "Oh shit, I almost left without paying for these." And he said, "Bro, I was wondering, buddy. You look so much like you knew what you were doing. I was just giving you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> He's like, uh, maybe he already paid it to self checkout or something. Yeah, he wasn't gonna do shit. He was just like, oh, he looks like he it's, knows it's, what he's doing. Well, it's it's what I love to do if I go into areas that I shouldn't be allowed to go into. Oh yeah, yeah. Like like if you it's if you walk with purpose, if you walk like you know what you're doing. You can just can't go I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I could have crashed an Ed Sheeran concert. Yeah. At the um at the Amway Center in Orlando. Um, cause I just walked and like left my seat for some reason, just like, you know, get some space from all the angst or whatever. And I, I did love and still love Ed Sheeran, but I found myself on one part of the Amway and I'd been there before. So I kind of knew the sections a little bit for like Orlando magic games. And I realized like, wait, I know where I am. And there's like a black car and there's like no security. It's just a dead side of the entire arena. Cause all of the, all the kids, all the fans are in the in that three quarters of the dome because they they killed off one side of the dome yeah. for where the stage was going to be right and i'm like no one's here and i just like look down at the curtain or something like that and i see like the stairway and all of that and i see the rest of the crowd and i see the stage right there and there's no one on the stage this is just like this black curtain there wow. that had gone straight into the stage where ed's performing and i'm just like i'm sitting there like do i crash this oh, well. like in hindsight i wish i had just like poked my head out i'm like hello yeah and i'd be like do you know any songs like i know all your shit i just can't sing so that's that would have been like the thing is like i'm gonna sing it poorly can you play any (laughs) instrument no are you funny not on purpose (laughs) so but yeah walking with purpose and if you have a clipboard it makes it all the easier oh yeah you know it's fucking great i have to like i have to sometimes like activate my wife's like i need you to not i need you to get with me on this if you are questioning what we're about to do we will not be able to like <laughs> do this right now you're gonna you're gonna ruin this ex, this ex, this i don't know going into parts of the mall we shouldn't be going into i don't know pick a pick a band area or something <laughs> i can't remember what we we're talking about that well we, we were going on this. with your album here we're, we're jumping all over the i can't remember even how we got onto this but oh yeah well, i was were... bringing it over because you had this you had this rap group yeah it got played it, what i wanted to sort of ask here. is are any of these actually online right now yes um the, the and it well it was first getting played here but sometimes someone would go to like california and be like hey they were playing your shit on the underground yeah. show or uh, i know i remember kansas city i think and how long ago was this what this would have been 94 through 96 yeah okay it was but... getting i know for sure it got here obviously but it got played in i know southern california kansas yeah. city washington dc those are the only ones i remember but there were cities across the nation that picked up on it that were just playing what's that. the because 
what's the what's the what what would be the track you'd want to have like someone give a listen to like we just listen to like a, um, a little bit of it right can now. Can you pull up Instagram on this thing? Yeah. Um. Let's see if I have to log in or anything. I can't even pronounce this right now. So if you log into Instagram and then uh, search for eight hundred one Gittle mentality. Hold on. Let me go somewhere else. Please hold. Might have to go to holding. the window. We're in a holding pattern. I might as wait. There we go. This will be mine. And what are we looking for? Uh, Eight hundred one ghetto mentality. Oh no! It's never mind. It's OG ghetto mentality. My bad. Right there. Yeah. By look. All right. And. Okay, see, cool. I want to get you one because there was a lot of sampling going on. So about half our songs had original music, and the other half were sample tracks that were looped. I don't want to get you in trouble on. Now we're good. We're good. Um, let's see. My solo was sampled. There's one. Oh, that that one was sampled too. Let's see. Um, Murder After Midnight. I'm, I'm I don't know which songs are on you, here. Well, you. So that album. That album came out in. It, the album came out in 96. The right. first single that's on the album came out in 94. Um, let's see. Scroll. All right, that's going to do that. Yeah, just scroll it down. I'm trying to um, I'm trying to remember what some of these songs are. Um, I don't have all of them uploaded. Um, there used there to go. be a place that had them all online. Because like you, never, you, you, you never actually got to a point where you put this on like YouTube or SoundCloud or anything, right? This is uh, most of tracks. it's on SoundCloud now, um, but I don't know if they all are. Um, but they're all, these are just videos that have the music on them. Right. Uh, what do we got here? Oh, this is, yeah, this is a, this is a sample track. It's now called Get Up. Hey, what up, Lope? What's up, sir? Hey, there's a lot of marks out there saying Get Up Mentality through. Is that right? Hell yeah, I think we need to drop another one for them fools that say Daddy C. Yeah. Hey, yo, Tone, why don't you drop me another one of them funky-ass tracks? All right, check this out. To the rock. Recording studio out here called Back One Recording. What's that old school right here? Yeah, this is a brass construction. I'm trying to Make sure they too loud for Yeah, this is my partner right here. Get up. Yeah. Oh, this is that. Yeah, the song that we sampled is called "Get Up" by Brass Construction. Okay. Cool. What else you got here? That is, we each had a solo track on the album. That's Bert's solo. My solo is the one called Metaphorically Speaking. Are you? Okay, that was an original. So that was Glendale to Midville right there. That was. Oh no, that was Weekends. It was just starting. That was original music too, though. This was the original one. This is original music on this one. Um. Which one are we looking for? Uh, keep going. So, oh, hold on. There's one called Metaphorically Speaking that Yo, I know see. is on. This, this, this one. Yeah, this, this is, your is, solo this is my solo. All right. This one was sampled from Flirt by Cameo. What 
When did all this editing happen? Like, do you just do you still have this account and just make the adjustment or something? Or? Yeah, I haven't uploaded to it forever. Yeah. yeah, Oh, there's gonna be some misogyny and N words in here too, just so y'all know. <laughs> This is your voice right here, right yeah. now? Yeah. Did you get deeper voice later on in your life? or My voice has gotten deeper over the years. I can still do this cadence almost exactly, but it would be a little different. A little right. deeper, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But when you get to the chorus, it's like, because it's all this violent shit. And then mm-hmm. it's like, the, the, it, right before you get to the hook, it says, don't trip, it ain't shit but a metaphor. <laughs> and then, uh, but then the rest of the song is actual metaphor stuff. In there. Right, 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 right. Yeah, the second verse is cool because I actually rap in double Dutch. It was, but like real double Dutch, like motherfuckers, the shit they speak now, you know what they saying. They, they do that. Oh, that's the shit, isn't it? It's like, no, that's not. That's not double Dutch like you know it, basically? No, I speak, we call it a Glendale double Dutch, but you put it in every syllable, and we used, uh, instead of an IZ sound, we used like a long uh, uh, YB. So like, I buy kaibud, I bell, I bood, I bet, I buy, I bill, I be, I buy, I buy, I buy, I bet, I bend, I buy, 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 I buy. I didn't understand a word. Yeah, I so said I could but, just tell you that. But I, I could see the. I, I could said, see the. I could hear the rhythm of it. Yeah, so I could. I, I can it. tell you that I really like your outfit, and you wouldn't know what I'm saying. Yeah, but, but you. But because of how you've hit those. Yeah, and it, it's weird. Syllable. It is like learning a different. Like at first, it you is just, a different language. Yeah. You know, there's rules you're applying because you're just modifying English. But eventually, you get to a point where you just speak and understand it with other people, mm-hmm. and you're not thinking about the rules. You're just conversing. Yeah. Like, I'll stumble a little bit Because the rule is a part of you now. Yeah, yeah. You just, you can, inst- like, I'll stumble a little bit just because it's, it's almost like a tongue twister putting that many YBs into words. But, yeah, me and my brother used to be able to speak it, like, just flawlessly, like, right. to the point where people would be like, what country were you guys So in? were you or are you a hip-hop head, basically, or what? I wouldn't say I am now. Or you just someone that was, like, really into the art form back in the 90s? Oh, I was... No, I was for a long time. I didn't listen to anything but rap. Like, mm-hmm. um, but I'm I'm just old now. Like the stuff I hear on the radio, I go, that's fucking garbage. But then, when I hear the underground shit, I go, oh, there is still real. There's still something here out it's there just... that's not auto tuned and saying that. Yeah, it's like, man, yeah, it's like when I hear somebody saying three lines, and it's it's not the hook. It's like you saying three lines over and over through the whole song. It's yeah. like, it, it's like that's not. That's not rap. I, well, there's there's some albums I can't think of any right now, but some of them that like I know I know Green Day had opera op, opera like rules inside of their albums, mm-hmm. but there's there's certain albums that should like convey a story, yeah, or convey something like what I like one album that I one of the few albums that I ever bought, but I really liked was uh, a, a Good Charlotte's a Day to Remember. It was like their I think the album that like blew them up back in the day. But what I would say about that one is that there's something about how that album goes 
that is about like the teenage angst of of you know the early two thousands or whatnot, but it has something that feels like a beginning, middle, middle and end. Yeah, like a concept. If I was album. listening, a concept album, something yeah. like that. Yeah, and there's a certain part where. I don't know music. Some some very popular music just doesn't seem to hit any deep archetypical like chords. No, it no. It's like, and I've always liked different forms of music, but mm-hmm. there was a point in my life where I was so hardcore that it was just hip hop was all I listened to. But yeah. Like, I mean, one of my favorite groups of all time is Sticks, and right, like they're anything. They tried to do well. Dennis DeYoung kind of forced it. They tried to do one hip hop song one time, and it was so garbage. It's just might be the second worst hip hop song ever made um behind UB40's hip hop lyrical robot. If you okay. ever want to hear a bad bad a horrible hip hop lyrical robot by UB40 is the cringiest rap song of oh. all time. And, and uh but yeah, I uh but my favorite rap stuff was Karis one, Boogie Down Productions, but Karis one, the guy who was always the lead of that um he's always been my all-time favorite. He's still active. I liked um Public Enemy a lot. Right. Um Third Base, Stetsasonic. There were so many good groups back in the day. Um, Salt and Pep were a little too top 40 for me, but I did like some of their stuff. Right. Uh, Heavy D. Like deeper cuts from Salt and Pepper or what? Um, I liked their stuff. It just seemed a little bit commercial to me. Especially, right. Um, and they almost were. I don't know if the back, because we didn't have internet back then, but the backstory was was that they were just two chicks that worked at Kmart or something and had right. a company Christmas party and there was a little talent portion of the party. And they performed. And, and they, they decided to do a rap song together and everybody liked it and they just kind of were commercial successes out the gate. I don't know if that is true, but that was the backstory that right. we all heard back then. Um, and yeah, and I heard them through, like it was very rare rap would get played on the radio back then, but I heard oh, yeah. them through top 40 stations. It was like... yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the. I don't get the. Uh, I'd have to think about it. I remember, uh, yeah, Sugar Hill Gang. I loved that. Um, and I mean, their most popular song was uh, that rapper's delight. I've got like somewhere on vinyl in my storage. I've got like the 15 minute version. Here, I thought of that. it was Jump on it, but that oh, just... that's Nucleus. Jam on it. Oh. Jump on it, the dance song that they put on. Jam like... on it. Is that the one? No, it's like. Like, oh oh oh! I know it's yeah. Doo, it's sampled doo, from a song doo, called "Jump doo, on Jump It." Jump yeah. on it. Yeah yeah it's yeah. Just, it, it's just a uh, simple little dance. Thing yeah, mix a lot. Redid that back yeah. in the nineties. I want to say, um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, Sugar Hill Gang was actually they were more like a boy band. They were put together by a lady who was starting a label that wanted to commercialize rap and pick handpicked these rappers that weren't really performing together. Yeah, and put this group together that she thought would be commercially successful. I'm trying to remember which one of them it was, but uh, uh, I'm trying to remember which one it was. But there's one of them, all his lyrics were stolen. There was another there was another rapper in New York called Casanova, mm-hmm. and uh, Casanova Fly was his name. So this, right. I'm, I'm trying to remember which member of Sugar Hill it was, but there's a literal lyric, I'm the C-A-S-N-O-V-A and the rest is F-L-Y. And it's like he literally says the other guy's name in his rap. And, and it's funny because he's the one that he goes off about how his dad always told him never let anybody bite your rhymes and never steal right. anybody's raps and it's like all the shit he was doing on the Sugar Hill God stuff was stolen from somebody else. I did not know Sugar Hill Gang. Like I'm not a hip hop head by any means, 
But I did not know that they may or may not have been manufactured like how boy They were manufactured were. and and uh man that the rapper's delight is so good but at the same time yeah that they, they were Is that man- like the only thing that was original from them or Oh uh, no that the the music was sampled um the but no he a lot of those famous stolen lines are on rapper's delight Oh wow um and that was their most popular song uh but uh no, like uh, Karis one was real early on. Um, he he grew up across the street from where hip hop literally started. On, right. I'm trying to remember the house number, but it was on Sedgwick Avenue in the, in the South Bronx. Mm-hmm. And Karis one would literally listen to the house parties where rap was invented going on mm-hmm. um, when he was a kid out just sitting in his window and listen to it. And, like he was there at the birth. And so he... Um, yeah, uh, there, there's a lot of deep Blondie, um, Debbie, uh, Debbie Harry. Okay. Uh, they technically a punk group, but they were so commercial. I know most punk rockers would be like, "That is not punk," you know. <laughs> yeah. So did so did all the freaking punk rockers. Uh, what was it? Killing in the name of whoever the fuck. Uh, Rage Against the Machine. The commercialist. Well, my first exposure to rap might have been Blondie's rap song "Rapture." Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay. And it's the one about the man from Mars is, is kind of, I don't know if it was the subtitle, but that was what everybody called it, but it was called Rapture. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you, know, back in the 80s. It makes me wonder if that's why Lil Wayne always referred to himself as a Martian. Maybe, I don't know. I was never into Lil Wayne, but yeah. I, I have heard of that. But uh, the, the uh, so the punk and hip hop sh- have a shared history because they were both so underground. A lot of the, the they shared spaces. Yeah, a lot of the punk clubs would allow hip hoppers in there, and and there was some crossover. And uh, so Yo MTV raps. A lot of people know what that is, but they remember Dr. Dre and Ed Lover, who hosted the Daily Show. But before that, there was a weekly show, mm-hmm. and it was hosted by this cat called Fab Five Freddy. And uh, he actually taught Debbie Harry how to rap for that song, and that came out of that whole culture of shared spaces and that's become so iconic now Karis one in the early 2000s put out a song with her on it where they basically used that beat and that hook again but it wasn't the same Karis one did an original song but used her to sing sing the, the chorus and yeah it was yeah it was it's why the, it the, went off the, yeah the history behind all that is really and you would think punk rock and and hip-hop like no way but they're so intertwined and cares well that's where because because i think the race goggles got way more intense once the george floyd stuff happened yeah there was something in there was something in me going through like uh because i graduated high school like 2010 there was something where like we're getting better together because you say about all this background that in terms of the underground culture for like punk bands and hip-hop like they were sharing the same venues and such and seeing each other a lot and i just think like the first time i felt like punk and hip hop were getting together was could have been like Linkin Park and Jay Z, but what I think about is um, uh, Fall Out Boy is like this ain't a scene, it's a goddamn arms race. Just because in the music video, like he's going to like a hip hop studio to like record a track, uh-huh. and he starts drop dropping his lyrics, and it's like this this white boy got bars or whatever. It's yeah, like, and I'm just like, is that is that commercialized from Fall Out Boy, or is because this was like you know third album from them or something, or is this like? actually something that's saying like hey there's actually like a hip-hop punk crossover not just jay-z getting on lincoln park shit when you look at the the history like and because they're both rebellious in their nature you when you look at where they are coming out of and there's the whole debate did did hip did punk rock start in the uk or did it start in new york and you know um 
I love the line. There's a movie called SLC Punk about these punk rockers growing up in the 80s that lived in Salt Lake. Yeah. And he talks about Matt Lillard plays the lead, and he's like, "Who fucking cares?" It's yeah, like, no. but if you look at what's going on in New York, this is the same people with different cultures, basically. So you have they're both basically ghetto kids. You got the white kids in the ghetto and the black kids in mm-hmm. the ghetto that are both doing these extremely unpopular, rebellious music forms yep. that are highly accessible, and they're both rebelling against the same system and you know fuck you we're not going to be a part of they're they're doing and but there as much as there was a racial divide in the 70s it seems like there kind of wasn't yeah between them um yeah it's it's this wild but there yeah that's been there and it's weird because in the in the 80s the crossover songs were not with punk rock bands they were with heavy metal bands so you like had anthrax doing shit with utfo yeah no, I, I don't know if you'd really call aerosmith heavy metal but you had aerosmith and run dmc yeah yeah they're tra- you they had, had track. you had all these crossover songs and then you had you had other rappers that were rebelling against that um there was schoolie d if you've ever seen aqua teen hunger force he does he's the one who made that theme song for that nice but he had a song called no more rock and roll and it was just like this song about fuck heavy metal and and it was he's a purist basically yeah like yeah that. and it, he was not a good lyricist but it was like don't like rock never ever did didn't even like it when i was a little kid all you and it, it was and this was a different time you long-haired faggots get out of my face i'm not right. and it's like yeah he he did not like yeah there were there were rappers who were like they were not cool with the heavy metal crossover and then you had the beastie boys that kind of broke down that barrier oh yeah with the, where they're doing this they're doing white tracks with black lyrics basically and we're just like fuck it that you know and it it, it got progressive so they were they were making sort of like much more what do you mean by white tracks like because well, okay, kind of... back in the day a lot of rap was sampled from others that's the whole thing started out hip-hop um, culture was nothing but sampling basically and like putting your different poets there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of original music now yeah. but the way it started was you had these the dj used to be the so like you got names like dj jazzy jeff and the fresh prince um i'm trying to remember the name of the group uh uh will uh, smith and the dj jazzy jeff's group or whatnot yeah yeah but it was dj jazzy jeff and the fresh prince there was another one something and Derek b or something mm-hmm. but the dj's name Eric B. and Rakim. The okay. DJ's name always came first because originally the DJ... Has to come up with the music. He was the, the most important person. Up. The DJ invented hip, the, well, invented rap anyway. Like, yeah. like Karis once says, rap is something you do, hip-hop is something you live. And he'll talk about like white skater kids being more hip-hop than the commercial black artist. Like, that's hip-hop, this isn't. Yeah. Um, but, so... What would happen is the DJs they would spin these records at parties and they 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 had the mixers and they'd mix them, but um, the best dance part was on the break where there were no lyrics and so they'd find a way to spin those over and over and uh, it wasn't Cool Herc who was it? I'm trying to remember the name of the cat but he perfected the way to flawlessly mix the records so that you didn't notice a skip in the beat mm-hmm. so that he would um, go from one song to another. Oh Jesus! How, um, uh, Grandmaster Flash. He invented yeah. he invented the the way to mix it so that 
it just sounded like one continuous break. You had to have the same record, but he'd mark them with a crayon. And and so you had this dance break, and then so you had the DJ, and then you had the B-boys or the break dancers that would dance during this dance break. Yeah. And then eventually, um, uh, um, cool, uh, cool Herc was the one who started the whole at Sedgwick, but um, and I think it was uh, Herc and Coke Rock. But eventually, the MC became a thing where he would make up lyrics and rap yeah. lyrics and it was more like party stuff like on and on to the break of dawn it was just to hype up the crowd yeah and and that's where the like what elephant man did during missy's so yeah 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 you had so so you have all these different components coming in so you um you got to, and graffiti was already a thing but like they talk about Karis one will talk about nine elements now because he actually wrote a gospel of hip-hop that reads like a bible i've got the book and he's expanded out to nine elements but there was originally five so it was the the dj the break dancer the mc the graffiti artist and the beatboxer is that why they're actually called break dancers yeah because they dance during, during the, the break so and the, and the break was when there was just music no lyrics the, yeah happening. yeah the break is yeah they break it down it's it's the it's where the the music is just hitting and, and it was originally mostly disco songs right a lot of times would be funk songs but they were still considered disco a lot of those funk songs would get played at discos um but it was there's a lot of disco crossover too but like that's that's just fascinating because breakdancing because of how it has appeared and looked because people are being like very extra in their performance it's not like i've done ballroom dancing you're always on your feet yeah very rarely are you on the ground for anything but breakdancing is a is a form of dancing that looks much like you're about to break something yeah because it's so athletically yeah it literally comes from dancing during the break yeah yeah yeah. and that's and i never knew that because that's that makes way more sense it it, it, like it just came yeah i didn't know i mean i grew up with break dancing in the neighborhood i was i do i wasn't good at that but i have friends who were in break dance battles and we didn't know where the term came from we just knew this break dancing and this is cool and, and yeah uh, yeah, there's so there's so much crazy deep history to it. And yeah, and and the the graffiti was always a big thing, and it wasn't about gangs and necessarily marking territory, but there. I mean, some graffiti looks like art. A lot like, of it, it is. looks like fonts. You wish you could figure out. My how to son play. was a graffiti artist. He was never a gang member. Yeah. I was a gang member who tagged. I, I did a lot of graffiti, but I never considered myself. I graffiti. I was literally marking territory. Yeah. Um. But yeah, my son was the opposite, and uh, yeah, he got in a lot of trouble. And I was like, by that point, I'm trying to be a good parent. I'm so <laughs> but he got in so much trouble. I mean, his shit was beautiful though. It was, yeah. Yeah. He he, he was looking at the office. Like, Can I take a picture of this? Oh like, yeah. He did, we... he, yeah. He did some nice pieces, but it was like, he's an illegal graffiti artist. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. He was really good at it though. Um. I don't see why he couldn't get hired or get work from your. I used to tell stuff. him, yo, you could, you can get, go to coffee shops. Well, sometimes um, it doesn't always work anymore, but it used to be a thing where um, businesses in in the bad neighborhoods would sometimes hire somebody to do a mural, a graffiti yeah. style mural on the side of the building because a lot of times those wouldn't get tagged up. Get, yeah, when you're a gang member, you want your shit to stand out. It's not going to work on a colorful background and there is a little bit of respect element like it's art yeah if this isn't a gang member that put that up Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to disrespect now not all gang members think this way but i wasn't going to try and disrespect this thing that's obviously a piece of art Mm -hmm. if it was a rival gang yeah we gonna piss all over that i burned down a building once over that but um 
yeah, it was yeah, it's they're just less likely to tag it up. Yeah. Some of the stuff you'll see in movies um is actually true. Like uh I don't know if you ever watched Blood In, Blood Out, but in the end scene, there's this old mural that one of them painted. Right. And it's about these three cousins that have all gone different directions in their lives. One's in prison, one's a cop, one's a drug addict who's now in recovery by the end of the movie. Right. And uh, the one that was an artist, the, the, the two of them that aren't in prison at the end of the movie are looking at this mural he painted more than a decade before. And of of the three of them and he's like look it's not all marked up that's a sign of respect and it yeah. was like it but that really does happen that sometimes people oh, yeah. won't well tag. there's something in the human spirit that respects so. art like that yeah really. i think so i think there is it's like it's it, i because i always think about the articulation around people that hit such peak moments in in performance of gymnastics rap uh comedy um visual arts is that at a certain peak point like it's just it's just god manifest and you have to respect something that like is so self-evidently sacred and powerful yeah you know it's weird because i agree with i'm an atheist and i agree with that like, yeah i really think there i i'm i think there's something inside of us that is like that cornerstone of pure like yeah yeah that part of you that is is beneath no one or nothing that yeah only I, I, maybe not everybody has it um you know but seriously like there's like early on in my recovery i really believed in this higher power that mm -hmm. communicated with me yeah. and it's uncanny sometimes but um when i started researching a little deeper into some of the psychology what little bit we know because that is really still in its infancy oh yeah and and but the way the human psyche works and how does this higher being know you so well and it's like it literally is you that's why people and i'm not trying to push back on anything you believe or convert anybody the way i think but uh it's this cat on youtube dark matter his name he goes by dark matter 2525 and he right. does a lot of these really insightful videos where he talks about all these different religious people that have conflicting beliefs yeah but know for a fact they have this personal relationship with god and how can god be and he's like because that is you that is that is a different part of your psyche that knows you better than anybody else that wants what's best for you yeah basically and it's like i have several ways we could go down in there um the first thing i thought of um you're aware of socrates right oh yeah i was just it's, listening it's, to socrates this morning his uh they'd put his um trial in modern terms yeah yeah in, into yeah. modern language and yeah because sean fucking uh, brilliant uh, 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 uh fucking What's his face mentioned it or whatnot? Apparently, Sean or Shame. Fuck, what's the comic's name? He just did live in Austin. Was a special like a year or so ago. Shane Gillis. Shane Gillis. Okay. Yeah, Shane Gillis and his other guy on his podcast apparently recommended this mo this way where they just take the dialogue oh and they just modernized it a bit. Just listened to it this morning before I went yeah. to sleep. It's yeah, yeah, fucking beautiful. It's like thirty or forty-five minutes, I think. Yeah, about thirty-five like minutes. And, 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 and it was it was his it's Socrates' trial basically. Yeah, it was his defense, and then it was yeah. his. Uh, uh, his plea at his sentencing for what sentence he should get, and then it was his statement after the death verdict yeah, was delivered. After, after those came through. Oh, it was so good. You're going to see my, you are going to see my search history. I think we're talking about the same damn thing. I don't even know why I'm doing this. If you, if you looked in my phone right now, the horrible, horrible shit. 
That one? I believe His that. historic defense in today's language. Yes, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's the... Ex- I think that is the exact video yeah, I listened yeah. to. This is yeah, next this. level. It's almost too modern. The only thing I didn't like about it was the narrator went a little too fast, and I think it's because he was trying to get it into a d- decent amount the pacing, of time. The, base, the pacing was a little yeah, fast. Yeah, the pacing can be a problem, but yeah. otherwise, I enjoyed it just because I'd heard so much, and the thing that I was really getting to was um, the Socratic daemon, if you've heard of that. Socrates, basically, according to the writings of Plato, I guess, um, talks about how he always listened to this voice in him that told him what not to do. Yeah. And so he, and, and, and so- it's him- weird because Socrates was accused of being an atheist, and he definitely was not. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's part of that's part of the false allegations. I think that were yeah. brought against him for corrupting the youth or whatnot. Is and what I love once I under- once I finally looked up and understood what the Socratic method is. I'm like, oh, that's what I see in Dr. K from Healthy Gamer, which is another avenue I could go down. But the- I love the Socratic Damon idea. But what I think I've ended up adopting more so. Is the psych is a psychoanalytic kind of idea that that is very well categorized by the Ayurvedic medical system, um, which is like Hindu India stuff. Um, yeah, I knew the Vedic what it was, but I'm not familiar with any of this at all. Yeah, yeah. So the basics I could give you, um, granted I remember correctly. If you want to go get a bunch of info, uh, go look up Doctor K, as in the letter K, mm-hmm. or Healthy Gamer, um, and he has several videos that. He has, he has a lot of resources, basically. Um, but he breaks down in the Vedic tradition, the Vedic medical tradition, there's five parts of, like, the inside of you, you could say. Um, the emotional side, the intellectual side, the um, what is I, what is actually I, like your ego. Yeah. Um, your And then your spiritual side. And then the fifth part is the, is the samskara, the undigested emotion. And so what, if you can break it down by those five bits and understand how like and an example that i overuse is that let's say you go to ask someone out and they turn you down your your intellectual your rational side the intellectual side will provide a ridiculous rationale to protect your emotions from the pain you just got from that so like you'll go to ask a girl out and you really like her she thinks you think she's cute she turns you down I was like, well, she was a bitch anyway. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that Dark yeah. Matter 2525 guy I was telling you about, I yeah. think he might have pulled some of his stuff for it because he starts out with this analogy of you ask someone out. He, you know, he is like, so you set someone up on a blind date with mm. your friend and he doesn't want to go out with her. Or, or, you're not offended, but you ask somebody out, they have rejected you. Why do you feel rejected when somebody rejects your version of God? And his whole point was because it is you. Yeah, they're rejecting well, and you. That's where, yeah, and and the the third part to jump into because I don't think we need I, is, so like, um, my wife and I are looking into like uh going onto like a native tribe for a peyote trip, yeah. basically, um, with all the right pins and needles and respects run through like a three day fast before, and so there's no stimulants in your body and things, and what our our guys told us basically, um, is that. When you do this, you're going to be talking to what he, what our our native guy says is that you're talking to yourself. What everyone thinks they're talking to in the DMT trips and stuff you hear about with the elves and stuff is like, no, that's just them. Yeah. That's just them. But because they haven't fasted through, um, and had like removed all the stimulants from them, and and haven't gone through the full thing, they're they think they're talking to elves, when really what you're doing is talking to like you. You're talking to like your subconscious or whatnot, like manifested out. 
And so a lot of what people end up doing in there is going in and like kind of, I feel like they're talking like an actualized version of themselves. Could be. And I, I this is, this gets real, and we got to be careful because I go on for four or five hours talking about this stuff because even yeah. though I'm an atheist, I'm what most atheists actually are, which is what most people would call agnostic. And yeah. I, and again, this is not to offend anybody, this is just so they understand where I am 100% convinced beyond not just a reasonable doubt, but a shadow of a doubt that the God that is described in the Bible does not exist. The Hindu gods, any God that I've ever seen in the scripture, I'm convinced they don't exist, but I am not necessarily a material reductionist. I mm. think there's a part of me that goes, I think there's there's got to be shit we don't know. And I think yeah. all doctrine is an attempt to explain the shit that we don't know and sometimes the stuff i don't i'm not convinced consciousness is necessarily local i'm pretty sure that my identity is temporary this yeah, yeah well well in this corporeal but, form yes but i don't think i i wouldn't be surprised if there's a universal consciousness i kind of lean towards that um i got it's nothing i would bet money on um look i i would tell you to look up i think his name's neil brennan he was on flagrant with andrew schultz mm -hmm. and them um, and he talked about when he did the highest concentrated version of DMT with the with the toads or whatnot in Colorado, and he has heard of one other person like that commented or something like that. One other person experienced what he experienced, where he actually like he's of the impression like he was he saw like what is what, what could be described as God, but it was just a force. Yeah, it didn't have motives. Intent, was this the cat that said that it was totally indifferent? Yeah, yeah, it okay. might, it, he could have, he could have said that. I don't quote me on that, but, but yeah, something like that. It was much more of a force. Like yeah. I, I think about him seeing like a, a glowing sun cloud, you know, just like this swirling, like golden cloud. Basically, that's how I visualize yeah. it. And but it's it doesn't have intentions. It just, it just is a force that's like that pushes in a direction. Yeah, I've and, heard I've heard a description like that, but yeah. I don't know if it was him. Um, yeah, and I know that name too. But yeah, they, there's so much. Um, the, and the people out there that are in recovery are going to absolutely rail against this. I haven't done this, but I I am not opposed to use of psychedelics to because I'm I'm not I'm not the positive atheist. What most people would label God, I would say, yeah, that definitely doesn't exist. But I am convinced that. We have no way, like, we don't even know everything about the little tiny, tiny little grain of sand of the universe that we yeah. can observe. We know nothing about it, well, no matter like, how much we, we think we... We were at the planetarium today here in the Clark's Planetarium here in Salt Lake, and we watched the Butterfly movie. And it, and what it, one of the narratives inside of it is this boy that turns into a grown-ass man, a scientist and stuff, and it's not till... The later part of the 1900s that he ends up figuring out where the monarchs all end up inside of like th it takes like three generations but where do they all end up during the winter seasons because there's inside of like the three generations of monarch uh, butterflies that'll basically occur inside of a season they one of them came from winter one of them survives during spring summer and then the, the last one i guess is the one that will then migrate across like all of North America down into Mexico to this mountain forest region and millions, all of them just end up in that area. And that's where they basically, so to speak, like hibernate, not actually like sleeping or whatnot. They just 
all just coagulate there in this one special place where it's just sunny and warm and cool enough for them to live through winter. Yeah. And then they all go back. They all head back north. Yeah. And and they we only figured that out in the last hundred years. Yeah. About a butterfly, just a, a singular butterfly. Let's not even like get into like how, like, uh, have you heard of like the knees over toes guy? I don't think I have. This guy has literally basically done his own like research and basically was ahead of the textbooks he was studying in for physical training and therapy. He has basically done the game. Of, he's he's going to be the name of revolutionizing knee health and repair entirely by walking backwards. I've heard of walking and, back, and pulling yeah. a sled backwards, a weighted sled backwards. Wow. Yeah, his name's Ben. Um, and so you think about like all of the known science about like no knees over toes were a part of like health inside of like sports or whatnot. Like you don't put your knees over your toes in your workouts because mm-hmm. it could, it could hurt your ACL or break it or something like that. And Ben's just here to be like, no knees over toes exercises is how you rebuild your knee health and, and, and actually recover and, and do a bunch of yeah, positive some shit. of the most basic shit that we took this science that had no and that that does my hope this sounds very mundane compared to what we're talking about but like when i was young cholesterol saturated fat salt those were all bad things and yeah. now we're like no holy shit you need to be eating those it's the shit we replace those with it's the sugar fucking yeah. Yeah, it's the sugar it's the, it's sugar. the um, the uh, vegetable fats turns water stuff, yeah. very bad. Other than like coconut and avocado, which I guess are more fruits, but they've turned out to be way better than all the other seed oils and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and seed oils. Yeah, that's we've only been eating that for the last hundred years. Well, it, so stuff that mundane we couldn't get. Well, right. what I love, she might even be a special guest, but I love this the reality. Like I think Michaela Peterson was uh, interviewed by like the most. Uh, the asshole that everyone hates in Britain who's on the BBC or whatnot that interviews, but like oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um can't remember his name. I liked him when I saw him interview Peterson, Jordan Peterson. But he was interviewing Michaela and just asking her about her nothing but her carnivore diet, her pure carnivore diet. And he's like, Okay, walk me through what the fuck this is that you're doing. And she's like, I have this cut of steak, breakfast, then lunch, and then dinner, and that's like it, just water and like salt or something like that, and like beef tallow or whatnot. And and he's like, what is what do the medical professionals kind of say about this or about you with this with this diet? And she's like, well, most of them are wondering why I'm not dead. Yeah, because I've been doing it for like years. And you kind of sit there and be like, she eats nothing but a beef product with like maybe salt or and nothing else than that. Because any any sulfites, like if they had wine or anything like that, would mm-hmm. fuck up them for a month. Yeah, and it's like, what the fuck do we know about a tri- about nutrition? We, if we this, know if this woman is having nothing but ribeyes. For years, no vegetables, no fruits, just water and ribeye, you know, more or less. Actually, just that. And she is perfectly healthy. In fact, she's the healthiest she has ever yeah. been as a, as a child that had juvenile arthritis and had yeah. to have her hip it's and knees replaced. Ju- like, yeah. And, and that it is, I, I did so, I, I went keto at first. And yeah. before. I guess we hadn't mentioned this before. I went full carnivore. I thought they were nuts. And I started looking into stuff, and it's like, we can't even scientifically study the nutrition the way we can other things because you can't isolate somebody for 40 years along with their identical twin and feed them different things. two different diets and observe the way we could in regular science. But what I do know from my own personal experience, and again, this is uh, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's something that – it's not even a hard word to remember. It's anecdotal. Yeah, but this is this is literally what happened to me is like 
I'm trying to, I'd gotten so overweight. Um, I was up to almost 300 pounds at one point and I couldn't get under bouncing between like the 265 and 238 right, right in there. And, and, and I started this keto thing, but when I went carnivore, a lot of stuff happened. I had conditions that I thought were diseases that were symptoms of me not eating what our ancestors ate and now inflammation and stuff that was fucking you up yeah i had arthritis um it that's almost never acts up anymore i've had that like it started in my knees when i was 14 um my arthritis almost never acts i had compulsive skin picking disorder that's what all these scars on my arms are right 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 that's gone i used to sweat like a pig all the time Mm -hmm. um that's like like the fat guy sweat kind of thing right yeah con- even if i was in top shape i yeah, was yeah, yeah. constantly sweating pouring sweat if if and uh, you think do you think that was actually tied to to the diet it's all that changed almost the moment immediately you went immediately when i went and some of it might have started changing during keto i'm trying to my arthritis was so bad that um and again recovery people are going to hate this but i had to take opiates for a while to manage the pain yeah um and this is something I've never talked about publicly. There are people who know that, but it was literally I could not function, um, and and never felt particularly bad about it because I know the difference between taking something recreationally and taking yeah. it for physical pain yeah. because you have no other choice. Um, I don't. I very rarely need to take an ibuprofen for. I had these horrible allergies yeah. that started in my thirties, to where I was to a point that. Um, it was sometimes like cement in my sinuses when I would wake up, Jesus. but I would, every day I had to have the, this nasal, it had to be the four way nasal spray, one of the generic equivalents. Cause the other stuff makes you worse if, and I'd be doing nasal spray all day. I'd go through crazy bottles and I'd have to part of the month, take ephedra, which was one of the drugs that I abused when I was in active addiction because the nasal spray wasn't enough. When I went carnivore, um, it all went away. I stopped needing the ephedra at all. Um, uh-huh. And usually if I ran out of the nasal spray, because sometimes the fo- the particular one I needed was hard to find. It's like I can't go more than because th- I would wake up gasping for air at night. I right. was like, I'm going to need this within a few days. And I ran out one night, and I was already, is when I was living in my car. I was already parked for the night, and I went, okay, I'm going to need to get this in the next day or two. And three days later, I hadn't got it yet, and I was like, I don't need this i feel fine it i i couldn't even remember all if i i can't remember all the conditions that this is clear i have always i've been diagnosed with depression since i was a kid Mm -hmm. um coming and going but these acute depression uh been diagnosed bipolar um the manics still come but they're good i've always had the manics that i enjoyed that were like well the thing i the thing i heard that i thought was actually it, it, I, I would take it as true was from Silver Linings Playbook. And I think I even heard it from someone quoting like, it might have been Christopher Titus regarding his mother, where it's like, what the bipolar medication does is that it just it just neutralizes you. Yeah. It just evens you out. You won't, and, you, and so what the bipolar person basically would say is that you have no idea how high my highs were. Yeah. And you'll never understand how low my lows are. And were. here's the thing. And I when s- you get flattened out, it's almost soul crushing because life yeah. is, life isn't like that and it shouldn't I be. I still like that. get the highs. I yeah. don't have genuine depression anymore. Mm-hmm. I I haven't in since I've been carnivore. It's right. so 
that that part of it is just gone. But my manics were never. Well, I did have high anxiety manics when I was a kid, um, right. but as an adult, a lot of my manics were getting real silly and making bad decisions, which I still do. I really enjoy that. Is why I end up naked a lot of places sober. <laughs> but um, it's a secret nudist over here, bro. Like, it's not even secret. Oh my <laughs> god! I this is uh, if anybody's been watching this long, because holy shit, but somebody is. Just earlier this week, there was, I'm not going to say who it is because it's someone people know, but there was somebody at my house. Mm-hmm. We we took a shower together getting ready to go to the Wednesday mic. Right. Um, she got dressed quicker than me in the bathroom. I walked out of my room, so she's fully clothed at the top of the stairs. I'm standing next to her buck naked. And Nick Lucero walks around the corner downstairs, picks up his phone, and takes a picture. By the time I got to the club, everybody had seen Nick had texted it to everybody. And then there were comics that I'm like, I don't think Nick has their number. I get outside after him, like, dude, Chuck, I saw that picture. And I'm like, how the fuck did you? Oh, it's on Snapchat right now. Motherfucker. <laughs> But that's the man. I knew he was. He didn't. I knew he was taking the picture. I posed for it. I was right, like, right. "Fucking, let's do this." I, I, right. No thought of the consequences or who he might send this to. Right. And uh, yeah, and he, yeah, he just. And that's. I'd like. I'm not mad at all. It was to me. It was hilarious. But I still get those crazy, mm-hmm. crazy, crazy manics. I mean, we got all sidetracked on this just from the whole. I don't. Oh no! Like the only the only point I actually care, I. I think we could end on is around psychedelics with the uh, with the um, recovering community because I've I've heard of and even probably we looked up the we were looking up we were actually looking up the actual literature on it around some psychedelics being used to, as to cure an, it. A, to cure addiction basically yeah. like particularly Which with cigarettes for like my friend people in like, the twelve step community like myself don't like to hear about cures but I'll just remind you the oldest twelve step book that is out there mm-hmm. says eventually there will be a cure for this one day we just don't have it at the writing of well, this book in nineteen thirty six well the literature that thirty eight the literature commentary on it is what they have is that they uh, I'd like to think I'm going to quote this or presuppose this but basically. The simple point is that you have to be having therapy at the same time as doing the psychedelics for the 70%, like, you know, killing of the addiction, basically, for the really ridiculously high level of how it just kills the addiction, okay? But you have to have the therapy as well going on to, like, otherwise you will probably, like, relapse. And so... And so the only thing I'm basically, like, saying is, like, we have literature now from, like, Johns Hopkins, I believe, that points out, like, hey... And I really believe in the Carl Jung statement that I've heard from Peterson is that be careful of wisdom you didn't earn. Mm. And so what yeah. I what yeah. I look at and think about with that is like, hey, if you want to have like a steroid on top of your recovery and you are partnered with your 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 addiction partner or something like that, a therapist, so on. Like this is something that could be a part. And here's of the, the, here's the only put I, I agree yeah. with that. But I, I the only pushback I'll give against that is um. If I ever do it, it won't be with therapy. I promise you that. Well, yeah, there's you. There's yeah, you, but I'm, I'm talking. Just, to, I'm talking to the but, other regular motherfuckers. But that this is where this is where because you see this so much when people are new in recovery, um, and it's why I have considered this for literally 
probably at least the last five years, maybe six, right? And have not done it yet. Um, addicts, we are such masters at self deceit when it comes to our addiction. Yeah. Um, me, I never did. Um, if you want to call PCP a psychedelic, then I did psychedelics. Right, um, but but it's if if it is, it's not in the same class as like DMT. It's not the same thing. No, as, but I never did those, so I obviously never abused them because I never did them. Um, it was never something I did recreationally. But even that, we we use shit to escape sometimes. Or um, so I'll see a lot of people who are new in recovery sometimes on online forums talking about. Yeah. Oh, I really want to try in DMT, and it would benefit me spiritually. And sometimes you just know by the verbiage they're using, it's like, look, bro, you're trying to find a way to get high again. You're not, you're not ready for this. Like, you, no. You, you, it, to, and to my me, impression, my impressions for just even the DMT trips is that, like, like it, it sobered Ron White for fucking sake. Yes, like, yes, and and here's the, and there's even anecdotal stuff of people with no therapy that one DMT trip and and all this shit goes away. Yeah. Like I said, my own thing is if, if you're in, if you're in any form of recovery, toast up brother, and it's working for you and you're happy, I'm not saying don't do it, but why do you want to? And then also for me, a lot of this stuff has cleared up I don't, because there was a point, I was in so much misery and wanting to know, it, it was about self-discovery, but, mm -hmm. Honestly, I'm 51 years old. It's only been in the last two years that I feel like I have really gotten to know myself and accepted, like I accepted the swinger part of me, which I don't even like that label. I don't, mm -hmm. I have a joke about not labeling my sexuality because I just, I don't. It's human sexuality. And it's yeah. like, am I 100% straight? Not even close, but I don't see any of those other labels fitting me either. Right. But it's it's kind of like, but I feel like for the first time ever, I really know myself um, and I'm okay being me to where I don't care yeah. who finds out what I, like I'll warn my mother, like if you come to one of my comedy shows, you're going to find out things about me you didn't want to know. Yeah. But there's not, there's stuff both my kids know about me that my mo my mother does not just because yeah. I know she wouldn't want to know. Well, it, I, I always think about the teenage advice that's given from parents of, like, be yourself for like as, when it comes to, like, caring about, like, dating and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I, I've always hated that advice, especially giving it to kids, because we're saying this as, like, a 31-year-old and a 51-year-old. That we didn't know who the fuck we I, were. Yeah, I didn't know who I was when I was. I, no. I literally didn't know who I was till I was forty nine or fifty. Well, I didn't. I thought I did a lot of times. I think I understood a lot about myself because I'd always been very introspective. But it wasn't until I got out here, got some of that Vedic, you know, analysis from Dr. K and watching Dr. K interview people, yeah, and kind of really piecing that together and reflecting on like what 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 did the guy that did kind of ruin my life do to me? Actually, do to me? What did my mom actually do to me? What ideas did I put in my head that inform the habits that I have now, the decisions that I have now? And so there's a part where it's like, I'm at 31 turning 32 now next month. This is September 3rd for whatever recording this. But like, I'm 31 and it's like, oh, I actually am starting to understand. Like, I actually know who I am yeah. more so. And that's where we go back to like, I think like I know I, I know the last time I was on like a Tuesday night on the main stage or something like that. And I left and I, I was leaving. I was like on the road and I was like, tonight sucks. Why does tonight suck? It's not because the set was bad. It's because when I left, 
I got to like a table of like other comics hanging out and I didn't stay in chat. I like mm. awkwardly stood there, said hi to like one guy I knew, and it was like I let the awkwardness just kick me out of the room. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm driving home and I'm like, that set was whatever, or it was even a good first attempt at a bit. Yeah. But that right there just set my whole like my reaction to that sucked. And therefore now my mood is like yeah. stuck in this depressive and element. It's weird too, because talking about this, I don't even think it's that I didn't know who I was. I think at some point in my early thirties I did know who I was, right. but I it wasn't until I, I, I really started to accept who I was. Yeah, and that's because there were parts of me that I would still fight against. I remember like the swinger thing that was in my forties that it was like maybe or maybe it was in my thirties, but it was like okay this is okay there's nothing wrong with that and yeah, i just use that label because but you were using that externally it wasn't i'm okay being this it was that thing is okay well which... i was i was okay being that but there was parts of me that um like i was all in on my third marriage like yeah um to the point that it's like wow did i did i really ever love anybody before that like right in a romantic way like i thought i did yeah but not on that level and that was so and especially because it wasn't a her did something shitty it was she literally became mentally unstable and got with a bad therapist that made things worse yeah but it was it, and it wasn't me that abandoned her it was at one point her stopped asking me to wait while she worked through this and not because she wanted to do what was best for me just because it was like but and i thought i was listening to a lot of ram Dass back then um and it was, it, there's a couple of you, but having this terrifying thought that, because he started talking about unconditional love and what that really was. Yeah. And having this terrifying thought that, like, and, and it was almost like, be careful. For most of you, this doesn't exist, but be careful what you wish for. And thinking, like, because the marriage had been so obviously over for so long, mm -hmm. and, and having this terrifying thought, like, what if I never stopped loving her? on this level yeah i knew we would even if she would have said let's get back i knew that was not going to work it was not going to happen but it's like this is going to be a miserable existence this was before i got into comedy but it was like this is going to be a miserable <laughs> existence what if what if this is unconditional love like i'm never going to get over her and i yeah. did not that i did not want like that was terrifying to me it was Holy shit! It's not like comedy is your fourth wife. <laughs> it's weird. comedy is, but I like to me that was like I remember my first divorce, thinking I never want to go through anything like that. My second divorce was piece of cake, but my first divorce was like I never want to go through that again. And yeah. after my second divorce, I was like, oh, I guess it just gets easier. But, <laughs> uh, like, you have a member card now. Oh, like, dude, you, it you was get it way easier. Yeah, the second divorce was so easy emotionally. It was like, but the, by the, in the midst of this third one, there was like, it's uncontested. Um, there's nothing, there's no horrible fighting over anything or I hate it's you. It's just or, the quiet death, it sounds it like. It was, but I have thought, man, I would rather go through that, which at that time was the hardest thing I'd ever gone through. I'd rather go through that first divorce a thousand times over than the way I feel now once. And it was, it was, and, and I, even remember in comedy recently thinking like um not real recent but maybe a year ago like my yeah. life is so good now 
and it's weird I think like that because I'm still living in my car, but it was like my life is so good now. Um, I I love this fast, not destructive, but this fast, crazy life that I lived. It's really me. Yeah. So why would I rather drink this other slow poison that I knew was killing me before the marriage ended? I knew I was going to die younger than I should, fat, diabetic, and out of shape, but in pure marital bliss. And it's like, why would I still rather drink that slow poison than love this fast life? And something in the last year has just been like, thank God. Odd for an atheist to say, but thank God that happened. Like, yeah. oh my God, that how? And I would never would have thought that that marriage ending would be the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. I literally, maybe this is the first time in my life that, because I've always been, I mean, I've been single for long stretches, but felt like I needed a relationship, like that was mm-hmm. the ultimate goal. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a byproduct of being molested or something, but it, it might be. But yeah. this, it's an idea that got in there somehow. Yeah, and and uh, I I just now it's like I can't see myself. Like and I'm not saying relationships are bad. I'm saying for me, being able to finally admit that my truth is I don't belong. Yeah. In a long-term relationship. Yeah. Um, and it was nothing to do with the swinging or nothing like that. That part literally did make our relationship better. I mean, it, you want to deepen some trust. That is the way to do it. It's just most couples, I, I firmly believe. Most that, couples choose bungee jumping. Well, I believe most couples <laughs> that will ruin their marriage. You, it, yeah. it's, like, it's like trying to be gay if you're not. Well, I, I this is where I... And we can actually get towards wrapping up here. We're approaching like three hours right now. We are, but I am enjoying the fuck out oh, of Oh, I this. am. We if you're you're getting back on online or some other way, homie. Don't I've probably it. killed all the listenership babbling by now, but No, nah, this is what I I gotta figure out how to how to focus up my guests. So you do you. Uh, that's all I'm gonna tell you as a guest. It's just you do you. I don't I'm, know if I can be focused, but I will try. Well, the 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 only question I had for you actually before I brought in the other thing was um the slow poison was just how toxic that mes- that mar- that third marriage was because of how her mental state had deteriorated. Um, what was the slow poison? Because I was like, are you talking about like alcohol, cocaine, no, Coca Cola? The or... slow poison was when I met her. I was in very good shape. I had things mm. that I did, and I really thought that I am doing this for me yeah because i i mean i don't have it with me i got a picture that you wouldn't believe it was the same person i've lost a lot of weight but i'm still fat as fuck but i was cut i was like and and hadn't looked like that way since i was in high school but were you like hyper skinny no but i no but i was very muscular and i was Uh and i looked better than i did in high school because i had much more muscle mass and and i remember the way people like people say women aren't attracted to physical and to a degree it's true like if you present with confidence, they're less attracted to physical than we are yeah but if you present with confidence and you're funny done i don't ever feel like anybody's out of my league i really yeah. don't um but at the same time um dude it is so much i'm just gonna be i've been very intensely not vulgar during this podcast but man bitches was throwing pussy at me like it was <laughs> <laughs> People treat, and I, I was passing most of it up because I was in a healthy state, but yeah. people would treat me different, like it, women would treat yeah, me yeah, different. Yeah. Like, I remember going to the, the this Maverick and uh, putting all the stuff on the counter, 
and realizing I had left my my credit cards at home. They weren't in my wallet. I don't know why I'd taken them out. And I was yeah. like, oh, shit, I got to go back and get these. And the chick behind the counter was like, just take it. Right. And I was like, you'd have, you'd have never done that when I was fat. Like, it was like, dude, it was like, I wasn't even, yeah, it was just insane the way people treated you different yeah. based on the way you looked. And it was like, that was eye-opening because I do know, like, yeah, I know know the psychology of you are i know how to get some ass i'm just saying oh uh, you're like if joey diaz and andrew tate had a baby <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i gotta well, listen to more andrew tate because i i've always had this bias against him based on some of the horrible shit i think he said and go it's, watch and it's like but when i hear people say well here's what he's actually said yeah like if you go on I the think... piers piers morgan Piers Morgan's the guy I was thinking about before, I believe. No, oh, not Piers Morgan. Um, no, it is Piers something, I think. It's, yeah, I think it's Piers. The something. chubby British dude with the that gray little hair. little chubby on the chin. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's, he came into America for a while. Everyone in America and England hates him because he's an asshole. Um, yeah. It is Piers Morgan? Okay, I was thinking of, like, I was putting his... But go look up, like, Piers Morgan interviewing uh, Jordan Peterson because that's just fascinating for Piers to actually step back because his sons actually told him, let Jordan speak. When Piers usually is is prepared for politicians to just fill air with nonsense. Um, And I haven't watched it, but Piers does do an interview with Andrew Tate. The thing is that my real full introduction to Andrew Tate was with your mom's house. (laughs) Because oh, they shit. had him on, and Bert's the one that basically accuses him. Is like, you guys actually are the reason Andrew Tate blew up because you gave it to the mommies of your mom's house. Oh, man. and it just, bl- I think, I think that's one of the podcasts that he did that really helped skyrocket. And him. see, the the first stuff I heard from him was people criticizing him, mm-hmm. um, and he was saying just stupid, ridiculous shit. Well, what I love walking is around that, his like, house with a sword, and I was like, what kind of a fucking twenty year old asshat is this? Teenage juvenile, right? Bo- Pseudo masculine wannabe alpha. Bo- I know you can fight, but that sounds like some wannabe alpha bullshit. When him critic, I heard one of him criticizing his friend for taking the time to make a sandwich, and he should be paying somebody to do that for him. And it's like, I don't think you understand the economics and how all that works and how see, much a sandwich see, really want, costs. All I want people to do is go look up Andrew Tate on your mom's house if it's still there. And just watch when they cut back to Andrew Tate after he's saying something ridiculous and it's going to like Christina or Tom and they're like quietly trying not, they're trying not to laugh. Yeah. And then you cut back to him and he's just like, you've got his like hand over. He's like trying to kill he's, the smile off him because he's just riffing bullshit. He's riffing like yeah. overhyped, toxic bullshit. But then I'd like to think when he gets to the Piers Morgan interview, he's sober. His glasses are off. He looks like plainer version of himself. And then he, I'd like to think that's an environment where he actually puts forward more sane versions of his arguments, I bet. Well, yeah, and here's but, the thing. I've always liked to think of myself, we all do, as open-minded, yeah. but I've I've changed my opinions on a lot of stuff because yeah. I was like, let me listen to the other side. And yeah. like, go, oh, holy shit. Well, that was how... That and was... I, I have, I've literally... I, I don't want to admit this publicly because I, I, I still hate this dude, uh-huh. but it's based on nothing but a few clips that I saw of him where I went... And I, I know I use horrible language. If you like, tell me you hate Matt Rife, you, you're going to have to leave. I don't like, even know who that is. Oh, fuck. Okay, cool. We're good. <laughs> but yeah, I love that. Yeah, well, I'll say shit. And I know I'm... Part of his... I was real good at this when I first got into recovery and realizing... Oh, you can't just say niggas and bitches to refer to men and women all the time. Right. But I've kind of fallen back into that because of some of the people I, I hang around. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's... to say it one way on stage is just funnier than the other. But yeah. Yeah. When it's true misogyny, 
and I know you know, I'm gonna ask you somebody could the way I talk, yeah, people can say you're a misogynist, but I'm really not. And yeah, I've always looked at that is that's a real misogynist, fuck him, but I don't have anything to base that on that I've actually Are we thinking of the same local mind. comic right now? Oh, I'm talking about Andrew Tate still right oh, now. Oh, okay, okay. Never mind, never mind. No, there's a no, there there's one particular we probably but Yeah, no Andrew well Andrew Tate pulls out like the thing about some of our, our Andrew Tate's arguments as I remember me reacting to them is that they sound misogynistic, but then you think about like if women were in if women were choosing of their own volition to um to pair themselves with a, to a man, and usually it is like a, a in a subservient kind of way. It would make sense what he's saying, and the thing is that if you take it even further in in, in regards to like some ways that it's it's verb it, how the verbiage is used like in the Torah, um, the best version of an actual couple in my mind from like that from the Torah and biblical standpoint is that you're both actually playing subservient to the other, mm -hmm. i.e. you're both always lifting each other up. Yeah. And so that's where like the the term of like I think the term I think the the Hebrew term of Eve or whatever the original like word is, it is something like your match. Like mm -hmm. the the ideal situation in, in that monogamous one on one relationship is that you are actually a paired yourself with someone that is a match for you, and I think and you might have heard Jordan Peterson talk about this, where like you want someone that's actually going to like contend with you, and yeah, like, and like and, and work with you. You don't want a pushover. You don't no you no guy wants a dead fish. No, you don't want a dead fish in the bed, and you don't want a dead fish. Yeah, going through and life, I think you know? we become so polarized. This like if you, because I am someone who I do believe, and and this is I'm not. This has nothing to do with trans people. I'm I'm talking. About, I do believe, for the most part, men and women are biologically different and have different drives. It's one of the things yeah, I yeah. agree with Jordan Peterson, and it's more than it's not. People think it's politics, but it is the the psychology and the evidence. It's the scientific basis. The most egalitarian countries in the world still yeah. have have a higher divide with nurses uh, and engineers. Basically. Yes, yeah, yeah. The professions people go into, well, and we can, I, we can and, see we can see it at our open mics. Yeah. More like because of the nature of like the, the sexual evolution of the male side of the species going up and being in front of the village and trying to like win the win the hearts and minds of the village, even just with laughs. Yeah, that is much more inside of like that, you know, the hero architect. Yeah, so like, I'm, the, I'm drive, a... the drive to get the drive to obtain value or present value to get mate. Yeah. And I'm 100 percent on board with this. Let's not label all masculinity toxic man masculinity because nah, most of it isn't and let's let's not i i don't like the attack on masculinity i think that's bullshit but then there's the other side of it where a lot of dudes who will say what i just said mm -hmm. they want to go back to these so-called traditional values of the man is in charge and the woman does what he is like no that's bullshit nah, too there's nah. like there's no middle ground when we talk about things no nuance and it's like that's usually where the truth is is yeah we're biologically different and there's nothing wrong with masculinity um, but this old system we used to run on is more yeah. bullshit than the, yeah, it's like, it, it's, and we're always like, can you imagine 50 years from now, you, we can think we're so enlightened and, and they're probably no. going to look at us and go, look how fucking backwards we are. And I already see like 10 tangents we could run down on, but we're at three hours, Chuck Fury. Yeah, I know. We just did three hours. How do you feel? I feel like doing three more, but I've got to be to work at midnight in Provo. So that yeah, no, and I got we got we got Fiji and everything. Get you on out of here. So that'll be it. Thank you, sir. We're gonna get on out of here. Bye, fuckers.